They are guides, all guides, and in unexpected places. You'll meet their friendly faces, and a ready hand besides. There's not much danger of finding you're a stranger for a commissioner or ranger. They are guides, all guides. Hi, and welcome to Guides Own, the unofficial guiding podcast where we talk about everything guiding. I'm Taryn. And I'm Marissa. As you may have seen from the title of this episode, we have invited another special guest to join us and share with us her guiding story. So we will be getting to know Davin, a longtime friend of Terrence, who is a lifelong girl guide from Nova Scotia and loves being outside exploring all that the province has to offer with her family. Then we'll get into learning about an honorary former Girl Scout, Michelle Obama. Michelle served as the uh, USGS Honorary National President during her term as First Lady and shares many of the values that Girl Scouts and guides live by, including giving girls the confidence to pursue their dreams. And finally, we'll end the night with one of Devin's favorite campfire songs, The Quartermaster's Store. Yeah. So Devin and I have known each other for way too long. Um, We met when we were in high school, um, when our boyfriends at the time, her best friends, um, were chatting. We got to know each other. Um, And while um, both relationships didn't last through high school, um, Devin and I's relationship definitely has. um, And we, through many moves and living in different provinces at different times have kept in touch and have been co-guiders at one point um and have definitely been through a lot of guiding adventures through the years um so uh Devin how did you get started in guiding Mm, that's a loaded question (laughs) um you know as most kids, I uh, started when I was in brownies. Uh, apparently, I was on the wait list for Sparks, though I don't remember this because I was, you know, five. Um, and uh, as soon as, you know, registration opened for brownies for my age, my parents were like, why not? Let's put her in because she's been on the wait list for Sparks. Um, and, you know, we're 22 years later and here we are. Yeah. Um, so what has kept you in guiding for the last 22 years? Uh, you know, once you do it for that long and you stop doing it, it's like a piece of you is missing. Um, you know, I took a little bit of a break my first and second year of university and then decided that I couldn't take a break for any longer. It was, I just, I couldn't describe what I was missing. Um, I'd moved to a different city, met new people, you know, kind of flipped everything upside down. And I couldn't f- quite figure out what I was missing until I started guiding again and was like, oh, that's what I've been missing for the last two years. Surprise. Um, but what keeps me in it now really is is the girls, the opportunity to meet so many like amazing girls and other co-guiders um, and the travel opportunities because eventually, hopefully, sometime, we'll be able to travel again. Um, I'd love to take another group. Yeah, one day. I'd love to take another group somewhere. Um, And eventually, I'll take my own daughter somewhere, whether that's with, like, on a guiding trip, or, you know, we'll just be traveling and go to a world center, because I'll make it happen. One of the two. 
And it's also nice to give back to the community that I grew up in. I'm actually the guider for the same unit that I was a guide in, though it switched names like four times and switched districts and areas four times. Um, it's still my unit. And, you know, you can you can see like on my IMAS record that it's the same unit through, which I think is kind of fun. So all those little bits and pieces just kind of keep me here. Yeah. So you mentioned leaving guiding for a few years when you moved to a new city for university. Um, So you grew up in Nova Scotia. Where'd you end up going to school? I went to Trent in Peterborough in Ontario. A little bit different, a little far away. A little bit far, far away. (laughs) Um, And then you ended up moving to Markham, and that's where we were guiders together in my former Pathfinder unit. Oh, Um, yes. The good old Pathfinder days. Yeah. Um, That was fun. I enjoyed those couple of years. We got to be co-guiders. It was a good time. It was was. probably the easiest co-guider I've ever had because it was like, hey, come over for dinner. We'll plan the meeting. We'll go to the meeting. We'll clean up the meeting. Then we'll go home. Yeah. It was really nice living. It helped that I lived so close to the meeting place, too. It's true. Um, When you live two minutes down the road from where you meet, you can definitely do that. Um, Yeah. Yeah. There is definitely something being like super good friends with your co-guiders makes guiding so much easier. Um, And like even down to like the planning aspect where we would, you know, send half thoughts to each other and planned meetings in not very long amounts of time. Um, Which, you know, I've definitely planned meetings in 15 minutes. Not a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, something that Marissa would know, me planning meetings, kind of, oh, it's my week to plan a meeting. What are we doing? Um. So speaking of super last minute meeting planning, what are some of your favorite guiding stories and funniest guiding stories? Oh, oh, Um so many um one that comes to mind in particular is we were at so in nova scotia we have this awesome thing called quest and it's where all the pathfinders in the province get together and do a challenge camp and there's many stations and you have to go around and you and your unit or like parts of your unit because you can only have i think it's five or six people per team get to go around and do these challenges um, and then whichever like unit or team wins at the end um, gets like prizes. And it's just a big, hilarious weekend. There's always a good story. There's always a mess <laughs> after it. So this one year, I don't, I think I was in second year Pathfinders because some of the girls who were a year ahead of me were still in because we were on the same team. So they mu- it must've been second year and <laughs> it's pouring. And in Nova Scotia, we get rain like nobody. It's damp, it's cold, it's windy, and it's downpour raining. And we're still out there, you know, boots, ponchos, covered in head to toe in mud, soaked through and through. Mm-hmm. And we get to the station and they're like, okay, you need to build a campfire. We're like, excuse me? I think it's pouring out. Like, hello? 
Like, are you not stepping outside of your shelter and like seeing the downpour rain? They're like, yeah, but you know, whoever gets to build the uh, the campfire gets to go first for dinner. We were on that so fast. We were like, okay, let's go. We were not successful, but we tried and tried and tried and tried for a very, very long time. And I just remember laughing so hard because it was like, this is impossible. And like, they gave us wood, that dry wood. Well, that, until we took it out of the, you know, shelter. <laughs> um, they gave us matches. They gave us dry wood. They gave us um, like everything that they could think to give us to try and help us. And we were not successful at all. But it was a fun challenge. And I just remember laughing a lot, like, what are we going to do? How is this going to happen? Um, my group didn't get it. I do think one group did get it, but I don't know who they were, or, you know, where they were from or anything. But it's one that really sticks out to me from when I was a kid. Yeah, man, I know just from trying to start a fire from like damp wood, like it's hard. So knowing that you were doing it in pouring rain, and some group was successful. That's just crazy. This was soaked. Yeah. Um, and I know what you mean with Nova Scotia giving a different kind of rain than Ontario does. It just, it's more torrential than Ontario. Yeah. Um, and never ending. Um, were you still with the Pathfinders when we got flooded at spring camp? Or is that after you moved back? I think that was after I moved back. Okay. Um, yeah, because I had... You remind me of a camp that we had to call parents to pick us up because um, our campsite got flooded. Oh, we've we've definitely done that, yeah. too. When I was uh, a senior branch... I was a junior leader, senior branch. Ooh, um, the uh, We had 30-some-odd girls. <laughs> we were camping at one of the sites that's only, like, 20 minutes outside of the city mm-hmm. ideal site for this situation and there were slugs in the girls tents and in the girls boots and at two o'clock in the morning I remember calling parents going you need to come pick up your kid Ooh. um I definitely drove kids home at two o'clock in the morning <laughs> yeah yeah I mean luckily it was just my neighbor who I think I brought her to camp anyway but <laughs> yeah needless to say I remember doing that and it was not a fun time yeah, um, it can be interesting when things like that happen. Um, what are some of your proudest moments and achievements in guiding? Oh, um, there's a lot of them, I'd say. I mean, it was exciting and I was proud when I got my cord and, and my LBP and all that. Um, or like, whatever. I know I have my cord sure I have my LBP but I don't even remember if that's what it was called when I was the guide you know it was a while ago yeah um and I never got my chief commissioner because it was never part of a unit like I did senior branch on my own because there was only one um senior branch unit in the whole city at the time and it was Sunday nights and it was 45 minutes from my house my parents were like no (laughs) we are not driving you that far for a two-hour meeting to then come home and then drive you back like no not happening um but I kind of have two. Um, the first one is when I was at the chalet in Attaboden, and I just remember standing there going, I've done this. 
I've made it to where I've always wanted to be. I've fundraised. I've stuck with guiding. I'm proud and happy to be a member of Girl Guides of Canada, but standing in this international location that means so much to guides around the world. So that that for me was a big moment. Um, and I do think about that moment often because had I not gone to Peterborough, I would not have had that opportunity in the first place mm-hmm. and rejoin guiding. I would not have had that opportunity. So that's one. And then the other one's kind of, kind of a strange moment. Um, but it's one of these kind of weird things that you're like, yeah, okay, I can see it. So it was one of those Ontario rally days that happened in 2015 or 2014 at Canada's Wonderland. Mm. And um, I was with my trip unit from Peterborough and they came down to Canada's Wonderland for the day at the time I was living in Markham. So I just met them there. And I randomly at the Ontario rally day, bumped into a friend of mine who was did guiding with me throughout the whole way um was in my class because I was in split classes she's a year older um was in my class the whole way through did guiding with me did a lot of music stuff with me as well and I just randomly bumped into her and it was really cool to just bump into her and then we took a a selfie together and posted on Facebook and our um old guider actually commented on it and she was like I'm incredibly proud of how both of you have stuck with guiding for this long and it just kind of made me think that it was proud for me to be able to pass that on to the next generation as Kathy had passed it on to me um and and Kathy to Brooke and I my friend who I bumped into um is very much like Tina is to Taryn um not as close but certainly that supportive guiding figure who's been there through all of your guiding years. Um, You know, Kathy kind of retired out of guiding when I was in senior branch because her daughters were much, much older um, than me. And then she kind of kept going just to, you know, see the units through and see the girls through. Um, But it it just made me feel proud to know that I was, you know, continuing that legacy that she had kind of started for Brooke and I, and that we've both continued it. Um, And Brooke actually lives uh, in BC now. Um, I'm not sure if she's still guiding, but she definitely was in BC for a little while. Yeah. It's one of the crazy things about guiding. You really find guiders who had that from Marissa, LA and me, Tina and you, Kathy, like those, um, secondary, like maternal figures who like were there through so much of your life. Um, and especially like, it tends to be like your guide or pathfinder leader who you, when you're figuring out who you are, it's kind of the person who is like, yeah, like, it's fine. Like figure it out. I'm here to help you. Like, I'll like, I'm here to be your champion. Um, and then like, you can really see that their impact um, through the hit, like through the next generation of guiding. Um, yeah. Great to hear that, you know, um, you've had a woman like that in your life as well. Um, and then our last big question is what's the biggest lesson you've learned from guiding over your career? So many lessons. That's all I can say. Um, I think the biggest one for me was just slowing down. I, as 
as a kid moved very quickly. I, as an adult, still move quickly, but slow down a little <laughs> bit more. Um, from having to, you know, stand in line and do horseshoe and stand in patrol and, you know, stand attention for uniform checks. And I did not like that. I did not like standing still for that long. I did not like stopping for that long. When I was a patrol leader, I loved life because I could move. But when I was not, I was not a fan. So just slowing down. Um, I have this memory of just kind of slowing down from when I was in oh, Guides of Pathfinders somewhere, you know, that I definitely remember it, but I don't remember where. Um, but it was guiding for sure. And we were practicing knots. And I just kept getting so frustrated at this one knot because I just wanted to get the thing untied. And it was one of those knots that gets tighter the more you pull on it. And yeah, it was one of those. And I don't remember what it's called. And I chose not to remember what it's called. But I just remember getting so frustrated because I couldn't slow down enough to make it happen to untie it. And then eventually I was able to slow down enough and untie the knot. But it took me a good long time to bring myself to that level of slowing down to untie it. Definitely guiding pushes you, you know, outside of those comfort zones. And <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I'm just thinking back. It's more of an achievement, but um, just that and then I'm thinking back to when we were guiders together um it's probably it's somewhere between an achievement and a lesson learned is it was right after Trump got elected and I remember the two of us being so excited to have this whole meeting about Hillary Clinton and how great it was to have a female president um and one of yeah um, yeah. Luckily, we oh, no. we met on Wednesdays, so we had you know twenty four hours for us to you know calm down a little and you know catch our breath and plan a new meeting at dinner five minutes before we started the meeting. Um, but having one of our girls come up to us and just like be so devastated that Trump won the election um such a sweet kid um so empathetic she was almost in tears she's like what do we even do from here um and then like being able to be that person in her life right then be like it's okay you know we aren't happy either like we're also struggling with this um but um you know take a breath like we'll work through it, we'll figure it out. Um, and then, you know, someone better will come around and, you know, for extremely, like, extremely long years. Um, but, you know, learning to put on that face when we were still reeling um, to comfort such a sweet kid. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I do think of that moment a lot because it was huge for us um as guiders but I think it was equally as huge for her a to feel comfortable talking to us like that mm -hmm. because she was not one of the like super outspoken ones either so no um like gosh. outspoken yes but only in the right environment yeah um <laughs> she was much like 
um, Marissa and I, who what we've talked about a lot, where, you know, at the right times, we can be very, very outspoken and have our leadership roles. But if we're pushed to have those roles, we very much aren't going to be the like that kid. And that's who this girl was, and I'm assuming still is. I would assume. Yeah, I'm assuming <laughs> is still in guiding or ringette or something, doing yeah. amazing things, being a leader in her own right. <sighs> oh, I'm sure she is. Yeah, that kid's not stopping. Um, <laughs> but yeah, having those... Oh, it's kind of... It feels like so much of riding was wrapped up in that moment. Um, yeah. Um, I bring that story up. Because um, unless Devin has any other words of wisdom she wants to share about her life and career and thoughts on guiding nope nope <laughs> nope <laughs> you know keep on keeping on yeah um <laughs> working with so many different groups and ages and everything um but the she was a girl guide you know that Devin picked out this week is Michelle Obama who while isn't Hillary Clinton um is definitely in the same realm as Hillary Clinton in American politics um, and has also played an important role in guiding in the United States. Um, so, yeah. Nancy Reagan, Helen Hayes, Jan Davis, John Sauvet, Carrie Fisher, William's sister, Shirley Temple Black. Tammy Duckworth, Kathy Frost, Candace Bergen, Lucille Ball, Debbie Reynolds, Princess Margaret, Hillary Clinton. Did you know she was a girl guide? Busting down the door a hundred years or more. Did you know she was a girl guide? Here to let you know she was a guide, you know. Did you know she was a girl guide? Here to let you know. Yeah, so as Taryn has said, Michelle Obama has a very unique um link to the girl scouts in the u.s and we will say to start off she's not a former girl scout as a member when she was a girl but she was an honorary member as the organization's um national president um which apparently is something that every first lady takes on something that i learned um so yeah we'll dive right into sort of her birth story and um, how she grew up. So she was born Michelle Robinson on January 17th, 1964 in Chicago, Illinois. She is the daughter of Marion, who was a homemaker. Her mom stayed home to raise both Michelle and her older brother, Craig, while she, of course, skillfully managed a very busy household that was known to be filled with love and laughter and important life lessons. Um, and her father, Fraser Robinson, was a pump operator who worked for the Chicago Water Department, which was the city's water purification plant. So very much a labor job. And despite being diagnosed with multiple sclerosis at a young age, um, her father hardly ever missed a day of work. So he was very dedicated to his job and supporting his family. And together they made a very loving family. 
Um, they lived in a brick bungalow on the south side of Chicago, which is where Michelle grew up, uh, spent most of her childhood there, um, if not all of it. And Michelle attended Chicago public schools. She did not, unlike some of our other former Girl Scouts and Girl Guides, did not attend any private schools. She was very much raised through the public school system, which many of us here in Canada can attest to. We also have the public school system that most of us attend. Um, so yeah, there's some uh, similarities in, in that in American and Canadian public schools, but of course there are little differences. Um, Michelle went on after she graduated from high school to study sociology and African-American studies at Princeton University in New Jersey. And she graduated from there in 1985 with a Bachelor of Arts. And she did something that um, a lot of people doubted her about um, afterwards. And that was she got into Harvard Law School was something that her counselor told her that they did not think she would ever do or be able to achieve. And she was able to prove them wrong. Um, so that was a really nice feeling for her. And she graduated with her law degree in 1988. So did not take her long. Um, and afterwards she returned to Chicago and she took up her very first job as a junior associate at a law firm called Sidley and Austin. And that's where she specialized in intellectual property law, which is a very interesting um, area of the law, first of all. Mm -hmm. um, and in 1989, while she was at the firm, that was when she met Barack Obama. And uh, he had been hired on as a summer associate when she met him. So that was their first meeting. Um, and after working at the law firm for a few years, Michelle sort of began to see that this wasn't exactly what she wanted to do with the rest of her life. And she was actually looking for something that was maybe more public service oriented in terms of a career path. So that led to her searching for a job. Um, and she found one in 1991 as the assistant to the Chicago mayor who at the time was Richard Daly. And um, the following year was when she and Barack Obama got married, so 1992. And at that point, he was working as a community organizer. So they were both finding their areas in, in their careers and finding their niche. Um, sometimes it takes a while, as we all know, as young adults getting into, you know, middle-aged adults, that uh, it's not exactly what we thought it would be. And we're trying to find out exactly what it is that we do want to do. So she took her time as well. Um, then from 92 to 93, Michelle was the assistant commissioner for the Chicago Department of Planning and Development. And in 93, she founded a Chicago branch of Public Allies, which was a leadership training program for young adults. Um, so she was beginning to get more into that side of things, into the youth and young adults. And she served as their executive director until 1996, when she left the job. And she became the associate dean of student services at the University of Chicago. So in that role, she helped organize many of the school's community outreach programs. And she actually, in fact, developed the university's very first community service program. 
uh, which was a little bit stunning to me, but um, that just goes to show what uh, Michelle was dedicated to. And clearly she saw the gap and uh, thought like, I need to do something. (laughs) So definitely started that, which was very nice. Um, And then in that very same year in 1996, uh, was when Barack Obama was elected to the Illinois Senate, so the state Senate for Illinois. Um, so he was also moving up at the same time. They were sort of supporting each other as they rose through their career ranks. Mm-hmm. And then in 2002, Michelle became the executive director of community and external affairs for the University of Chicago. So again, I'm very much following that line of community service and volunteering with the community and getting people involved. And then in two years after, in 2004, was when Barack was then elected to the U.S. Senate and he became sort of more nationally prominent and specifically with a speech that he gave on the final night of the Democratic National Convention in 2004. So he, he started to become a bigger name and people were starting to hear about him um, as, a, as a rising figure and voice. Then in 2005, Michelle became vice president of community and external affairs for the University of Chicago's Medical Center. So she sort of focused in on that area. And apparently under her leadership in that role, their volunteerism started to skyrocket and they noticed a heavy increase in the volunteers that they were getting. So she was definitely making an impact in that role. And it was quite clear. Um, And then we get into the year 2008, which as many of us know of, to be a very big year for US politics, because of course that was when Barack Obama ran for president um, and announced his candidacy uh, for the Democratic presidential nomination. And Michelle took a very prominent role in his campaign. She did not lay back and sit back. Um, She very much wanted to help him and make sure that he achieved his goals and his dreams. So she ended up taking a leave from her position at the University of Chicago in order to devote herself much more fully to the campaign um, while also still maintaining time to care for her and Barack's two young daughters, Malia and Sasha. So, yep, she was fully involved in there. And oh, she was actually very... girls during his first campaign? Do you remember, Marissa? I don't. I did mean to make a note of that. Um, okay. But I didn't find it in the bio. But um, I'm trying to think. I think they're a couple of years younger than me. One of them is a couple of years younger than me. I'd imagine they were probably quite young, like elementary school okay. age very much. Um, so yeah, they probably didn't fully know what was going on, but they had an idea of like what their dad was doing. Yeah. And that their parents were probably super busy. (laughs) Um, so yeah, Michelle was a very good speaker, very adept. Um, she was very supportive of her husband during the long democratic primary race. And of course, in June, 2008, she became Um, or Barack became the party's presumptive nominee. And that's when she really took on an even stronger role. Um, She was very open on the campaign trail in interviews. And she um, was therefore like someone who many people endeared. Um, She was, you know, 
very human to everyone and they could um, relate to her a lot better. And that was often because she would um, humanize her husband by discussing his faults. (laughs) Um, And she often implored people not to deify him. So not to raise him up too high, you know, on a pedestal or anything and say like, you know, he does have his faults and he is human. And that seemed to do something for um, a lot of their followers and, and observers. But of course, wherever you go, there are critics. You can't escape them. Um, so the people who were critical of Barack's campaign took issue with Michelle for some of the comments that she made. Um, she one time remarked that, for the first time in my adult l- lifetime, I am really proud of my country. Um, and there was, of course, some uproar in sense that, you know, like, were you never proud of the country? But um, she ended up going on to clarify that she meant that she was proud that Americans were eagerly engaging in the political process during the 2008 election. But um, I think we can all sort of decipher what she meant from that, um, even years and years later. Um it's funny yeah, so, to hear about how involved she was in the 2008 presidential campaign after a few weeks ago talking about Jill Biden and how uninvolved she was. Um, it's just, yeah. it's funny to see the other side of the coin for Michelle Obama. Especially because like president and vice president, right? Like they, uh, mm-hmm. they knew each other quite well or got to know each other quite well. So yeah, that is very interesting. And uh, I wonder if it has something to do with age, because the Obamas were quite young in their family and um, themselves, of course, whereas yeah. uh, the Bidens were a bit older, quite a bit older. Like everyone talks about how Joe is, you know, probably one of the oldest. And who knows it if also, he'll run after his first term. Yeah, it also seems like Michelle's a naturally better public speaker than Jill Biden is. Mm. Um, I'm sure that has something to do with it. Yeah, quite possibly. Um, Yep, she is known, like I said, for her her public um, image and being able to speak really well in front of crowds, much like her husband. Um, There are many Obama speeches that people will refer to just because of the way he is. Um, the way he speaks, his charisma, he's able to grab people's attentions and, you know, make these one-liners that people will remember forever and ever. Um, so I think they share that. And um, in addition, um, the uh, campaign aides often referred to her as um, the closer one just for her, or sorry, the closer um, in terms of her speeches, because she was very persuasive on the campaign and especially among uncommitted voters who were attending the rally, she was able to sort of, you know, convince them at the end and close the close the speech and close the event off with like that nice line and and that persuasiveness. So she was very much impactful in his in his campaign. And um, of course, as we all know, on November fourth, two thousand and eight, Barack was elected the forty fourth president of the United States, and he took office on January. 20th, 2009, and was re-elected in 2012. So he filled filled the full two terms. Um, So that was a a big part of their life for a while. I don't want to get too involved in that because I'm sure that's maybe more information that people already know about. Um, If you're interested, you can look it up 
stuff. <laughs> but I thought we'd get on to more of the volunteering and community side that Michelle was involved in, um, because although that was her husband's career in the White House, it was not really hers. So we'll look more at her side of things. So um, as a first lady, she was involved in various causes. Um, some of the most notable include supporting military families and also ending childhood obesity. That was some of the big causes that she was a part of. Um, one of the things that she did was in an effort to promote healthy eating, she planted a vegetable garden on the South Lawn of the White House in 2009. Um, so it was very much taking action. She wasn't just saying things. Um, there were several programs that she also started. I have four of them listed here. The first one was in 2010. The campaign was called Let's Move, and it was something that would bring together community leaders, educators, medical professionals, parents, and many other people in a nationwide effort to address the challenge of childhood obesity. Um, so that was one big campaign that she um or initiative that she began. And in 2011, she partnered with Dr. Jill Biden um, and they came together to launch something called Joining Forces. This was a nationwide initiative that called for all Americans to rally around their service members and veterans, as well as their families and support them through things like wellness, education and employment opportunities. That's something that um, you know, there tends to be a gap and a lack of support for for those veterans coming back and living, you know, afterwards. They don't necessarily all have pensions or anything like that. So giving them support is really important. And that's what um, Michelle thought as well. And in 2014, she launched the Reach Higher Initiative, which was an effort to inspire young people across America to take charge of their future by completing their education past high school, whether that was at a professional training program, at a community college, or a four-year college or university. So she was trying to give support for people who had, you know, different ideas of what they wanted to do after high school, but made sure that they pursued something, whatever that was that best fit who they were and, you know, how they learned, how they worked. Um, and then in 2015, um, she joined President Obama to launch the Let's Let Girls Learn initiative, which was a government-wide initiative that helped girls around. That was probably one of the initiatives that I aligned the best with what Girl Scouts is all about. Um, so that is a very cool one that we'll sort of go into as we talk about her Girl Scout involvement. So although she was never a Girl Scout, like I said, she did serve as the honorary national president. And this is something that every first lady of the United States has served in since 1917, when the first lady Edith B. Wilson became the first honorary national president. Um, so it goes back quite a number of years. Yeah, um, almost to the beginning. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, it's a long history. Um, and then in 2015, um, 
this is something that many of us will know about and maybe don't know all the details, but we definitely saw it in the news um, was when she um, came up with this really cool idea. Um, at the time, she was, of course, the co-chair of the centennial celebration for their national park services in the U.S. And she held that co-chair position alongside the first former first lady, Laura Bush. Um, so together, they were um, coming up with ideas, and Michelle apparently came up with a celebration that she thought was crazy cool, and it was to invite a bunch of Girl Scouts to camp out under the stars on the south lawn of the White House. And it was something that was very unique, no one had ever done before, and of course garnered a lot of attention from mm-hmm. many news sources. Um so the something that I'll make note of that I did not realize, probably because I'm not American, is that the White House grounds are actually part of the national park system. So it worked really well. And that's probably one of the biggest reasons why it was allowed. Um, so the National Park Service helped to erect over 23 tents on the grass beneath the Truman balcony on the Tuesday morning of the event. And by the Tuesday afternoon, they had 50 girls from Maryland, Virginia, West Virginia, Oklahoma, and Washington, D.C. And they were all out back scaling a 25-foot rock climbing wall that was situated beside the Oval Office. Um, That would have been so so cool. Right? Right. I know. Like, imagine being invited and getting to do that. That would have been amazing. Uh, I wonder so if it was like how <laughs> girls in Canada a hundred odd years ago felt like being able to go camp um, at Casa Loma. Mm, like that yeah. same like magnitude of awe and astonishment to like be able to go and do something so cool. Yeah, I wonder. <laughs> so yeah, that uh, that whole event included several different things. So. Um, at night, they had a dinner, which was in the state dining room, which was moved because there was a threat of thunderstorms. Um, originally, it was supposed to be outside. Um, so they got like, like a special treat. Um, there was also stargazing with an astro- astronaut, um, Katie Coleman, and a sing-along around, of course, not fire, because um, <laughs> that was not Secret Service approved. So they had Secret Service approved um battery operated lanterns <laughs> for that campfire because <laughs> you can't have a campfire on the lawn so I mean why not I it was really funny. yeah <laughs> we've all had lantern campfires at one point yeah yeah well the indoor campfires too many yeah. guiders have these like makeshift ones that yeah. have tissue paper and light bulbs so it's all good um, and you know what made up for the fact that there wasn't a real campfire was the fact that they had a very special guest at their sing-along. So Michelle Obama was out there, but then President Obama took a break from his work and he came out and sang with the girls. Um, they ended up doing a round of Make New Friends, which, you know, yeah. that's just so sweet. <laughs> seeing seeing them all sing that. Yeah. Um, but uh they shortly had to leave and before they headed back inside for the night the obamas um barack obama offered a good night group hug and was promptly swamped by girls of course because <laughs> they all like were just in awe of him and just couldn't believe so that was a nice little treat 
for them. Um, so that was a big event that everyone knows Michelle Obama for, especially in relation to the Girl Scouts, um, was something big that she did for them. Um, in addition to that, uh, Michelle Obama, of course, wrote a book much later, um, I think it was after her first lady term, um, she wrote a book called Becoming. And on her book tour, she had a special event to which she invited Girl Scouts all over the country to attend. Um, they were also invited to open the show for her. Um, so she ended up hosting a very intimate conversation about her book and also talked about her journey from girlhood to the White House. And she talked about how girls um, can achieve anything they put their mind to as long as they had the courage to go for it. And the Girl Scouts who were in attendance uh, really enjoyed hearing her stories, including the story about how she proved her counselor wrong by getting into law school, um, as well as other stories about finding the confidence to beat the status quo. So um, they were just very happy to be able to attend and find someone so inspiring um, to hear from. So those were some big things that she did. There were also little initiatives that she took part of as well with the Girl Scouts um, throughout her time. And she still continues to have a connection, of course. Um, that autobiography becoming that she wrote was written in 2018. So that was after she was um, the honorary president. So that was a connection that she continued on with afterwards. Um, and then of course, of course, I thought we should talk about a little bit about her support for Hillary Clinton, who um, ran for president in 2016 as the Democratic candidate. Um, and Michelle supported her very strongly and um, gave a speech during the party's national conve convention, which drew widespread praise. Um, she, um, Michelle had stated that um, during the very coarse sort of or tense race, Michelle made a statement that when they go low, we go high. So, you know, taking the low road versus taking the high road. Um, and although um, Clinton ultimately lost, Michelle, you know, continued to be um, very supportive of her. And even after Michelle's husband, Barack, um, when his term ended in 2017, um, she was, of course, still supportive of her, but they both ended up making um, a choice to take a more low public profile. Um, they weren't, of course, heard of or seen of as often as they used to be, but they were still doing work. Um, and that, of course, included the book that Michelle wrote. Um, and then at the end of her tour for her book, um, or as a part of her tour for the book, there was also the beginnings of the documentary um, by the same title, Becoming, um, which was aired on Netflix in 2020. I do not have a Netflix subscription, but I imagine it is likely still up there um, if you're interested in watching it. Um, I am definitely going to try to find a way to watch it <laughs> at some point. <laughs> I also do want to read the book. We do have a copy of it. It's sitting in our, in our house, and uh, one day I'll get to it. But uh, she's a very interesting lady. I think she's had a very interesting career and mm -hmm. continues to have one, of course. Um, and 
in one of the newest bits of media that she's released was the Michelle Obama podcast, which is available on Spotify. Um, I think the earliest date was in June when she started releasing episodes um, and it only went up to September. Um, so there haven't been any recent releases, but there's enough up there if you're interested um, to go take a listen if podcasts are your thing. I'm sure you could hear a lot more about what Michelle's doing sort of currently as of like 2020, see what she's up to. I'm sure it's really interesting. Um, yeah, I uh, And uh, even her daughters have taken quite a low profile. I haven't seen or heard about anything from them in the news since, you know, I guess they started college and then that's pretty much it. They were, you know, I guess, I don't know if paparazzi were called off or what it was, but uh, they haven't been bugging them for for a while so it's kind of nice they get to have a little bit more privacy in that sense but Mm -hmm. yeah yeah um so like such an interesting life like I knew some of it but um I guess just not being in America as much as I love following the news and politics didn't realize how much she's done um in her role as first lady over the eight years that the Obamas were in the White House. Um, and that camp out on the South Lawn sounds like so much fun. Uh, I'm super jealous. Our Prime Minister has never done that. No. We should uh, write to good old Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, see if we can oh, make that happen. <laughs> I mean, we have to get rid of this pandemic situation first, guys. Yeah, first. Uh, minor <laughs> details. And if he's around for that long... <laughs> Yeah. Oh, there's a lot of people who don't like what he's done. So I feel an election coming on within the next two to three years easily. Yeah. Well, he's already been in power. Like the last election we had was already almost two years ago. Mm-hmm. Time flies. Yeah, really? Yeah. <laughs> it's been a while. Remember that whole pandemic that's just erased a full calendar oh. year of everyone's life? Uh, yeah um on happier notes not thinking of the (laughs) pandemic we have a super fun quirky song to sing for a campfire this week the quartermaster store there were rats rats big as blooming cats in the stores in the stores there were rats rats lying about on mats in the quartermaster stores my eyes are dim i cannot see i have not brought my specs with me i have not brought my specs with me so when i started looking into this i wasn't expecting to find any history but it has a history to it. Um, but of course it does. Yeah, it's one of the things I, I guess I've learned over the last year or so is that more campfire songs have history than I expect. And the history that we find is quite bizarre, like this one. While no one knows how old the Quartermaster store song is, um. There's possible origin dating back to the English Civil War in the 17th century. Wow. <laughs> That's all I could find about it. 
That was the full end, okay. like full line on Wikipedia. Nothing else I could say about it. Um, it does get more popular in more recent wars. Um, it was sung by British, Australian, and New Zealand soldiers during World War One, and stayed popular within the military. And was sung by Americans during the Spanish Civil War and in World War II by the Royal Air Force. Um, so being about the quartermaster, it makes sense that it's very military based um, since quartermaster, um, the term originally came from military and the guy who supplied all of your rations and supplies. Um, over the years, it's been recorded several times, um, starting as early as 1939. Um, and Rafi, uh, the Canadian children's entertainer, entertainer sorry, um, recorded a slightly different version in 1979 called The Corner Grocery Store. Um, I'm feeling he just didn't think kids would know what a quartermaster was. I mean, he's not wrong. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> and then the other weird thing I found is that everywhere I looked has a different version of the chorus than the Girl Guides to Canada website does. Um, so I know I texted Devin asking her what she thinks the chorus is over the weekend, but Marissa, do you know what the chorus of the Quartermaster's store song is? Without looking it up? Well, oh, I, I've already seen it. Okay. Like, I looked at it before. But what you Fair. have is what I know. Yeah. So, so yeah. everywhere else I looked, and I was talking to my husband about it, um, everywhere else sings, I have not brought my stacks with me twice. Um, They don't fit no. spectacles in the second line but spectacles um, just flows way better yeah he mm -hmm. insists on saying that we shoehorn it in um so i don't know i think he's wrong um i like our version way better um but that means i also haven't been able to find a version on um youtube to share in the show yet um I do have a little bit more time. I'll keep looking, but it's so bizarre. It's so weird. Yeah. Um, definitely had me sitting, scratching my head, being very confused and very frustrated. Yeah, I have to say, when you texted me, I was like, what do you mean? <laughs> that line twice? And I like sang it out loud and was like, no, yeah, no, that does not work. It's oh. like too drawn out if you try to do it like without the full spectacles. So what I've found is that the music, or at least how people have sung it now and everywhere else, um, just the tune is different for that second line. So they just repeat the like same music for the I've not brought my specs with me twice versus pulling it out to get spectacles in. Hmm. But it's definitely not as much fun. It doesn't flow. Yeah, no, no it I sounds wrong. It doesn't it, roll off the tongue as nicely. No, it really, it's awful. Um, 
Um, so the um, verse of the song um, f- keeps a pretty, you know, um, regular formula. So it's there are an animal um, as doing some sort of action um, in the store in the store and then repeat the animal in the quartermaster store. And um, I found some fun ones on the Girl Guides Canada website of a list of crazy verses. Um, but some of the fun ones I pulled out were um, so rats as big as alley cats, which is um, the one that pretty much everyone starts off with. Um, snakes as big as garden rakes. Mice running through the rice. Um, and then you get some fun ones like owls shredding paper towels and foxes stuffed in little boxes. Um, of course, as girl guides, we need to make fun of Boy Scouts any way we can. So Boy Scouts are eating the Brussels sprouts or eating Brussels sprouts, I should say. Um, snails crawling on the nails, which I think would hurt a lot. Um, crocs eating all the locks. And eggs with scary chicken legs, which I just, the visual of that kills me. Yeah, I I think the visual for the eggs with scary chicken legs was probably my favorite one to visualize because it's like, do they have faces or do they just have these chicken legs and they're just running around? Are they cracked or they whole? I don't know. I don't know. Um, (laughs) And then another couple that they found with longer animals um, so instead of repeating the animal, you just um, spread out the syllables. So um, they have one that there are platypi eating all the pie, um, which <laughs> I thought was funny. Like seeing platypi with their duck bills eating. I picture a coconut cream pie or a banana cream pie just getting cream everywhere. Um, yeah. <laughs> So again, a surprising amount of history, um, a bizarre history. Um, The research was harder than I expected since quartermasters are so popular in military. Mm. Um, Each quartermaster platoon or division or um, whatever branch they're in, they all have their own, like, um regiment song so finding yeah. the quartermaster store campfire song was a little hard but there was a lot of really interesting information out there um <laughs> yeah I just... you know what's funny about this song too is i remember learning it at a summer camp but i only remember the chorus i don't remember any of the verses so like i only know the song for the chorus <laughs> But I remember not knowing what a quartermaster was and thinking it was just like this old lady who like sat in a chair and like, you know, just couldn't see out of her, out of her eyes without her spectacles. That's all I, that's all I knew. And I was like in guides. So I was quite young, but I'm glad to know the real like story behind that song. Yeah. Um, And in guiding the quartermaster, like I can see your quartermaster being like the older semi-retired guider who, you know, just shows up to camp when needed, help in the kitchen. Yeah. 
Um, so having that visual of an older <laughs> lady not being able to see without her glasses is quite appropriate for guiding. Um, well, I learned the quartermaster store and um, like the My Aunt Greet song at the same time. Like it was like one <laughs> same camp. Yeah. So I definitely like Marissa had this invasion <laughs> of this old lady <laughs> with her cat, clearly. Yeah. <laughs> because we learned them in the same night. So yeah. That's fair. Definitely. That's yeah. Um, but it's such a fun song. And another song we need to add to our list to teach to our Pathfinders who don't sing. Um they'll want to once we can in person but yeah they don't we, like the zoom aspect of that yeah no we asked them they said hell no with zoom yeah because uh, yeah, all you hear is yourself i get yeah. it yeah and then we make them unmute themselves for taps every week and it's like nails on a chalkboard that's uh, why we've <laughs> stopped doing taps online because it's just our unit's very small mm. and it's just it's not worth it <laughs> it's just not worth it um i i do want to try and get them to sign taps though but we'll see how that yeah goes. yeah i would love to teach them but i need to know how to do it first and i'm like i'm not good at picking up that kind of thing so unless somebody's there like beside me to teach me and make sure i'm actually doing it right because i don't want to get it wrong because mm-hmm. i know there's like some subtleties in sign language but I would definitely get wrong and I would do something offensive. Like, yeah, it would not be good. Yeah. Um, I definitely agree with you, Marissa. Sign language <laughs> is something I do want to learn, um, but I need a little bit more time and would love to, you know, be able to do it in person with someone who can tell me when I'm doing something wrong. Yep. Yeah. Um, so that brings us to the end of another episode. Um, make sure you subscribe to the podcast on your favorite platform. Um, we are everywhere, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you may find podcasts. Um, and wherever that may be, make sure you give us a five-star rating and a review to let us know that you're listening and enjoying. And you can also follow us on social media. We're at Guides Own on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can keep up to date on the newest episodes, any podcast news, and behind-the-scenes bits that we share. For sure. Um, and as we part, we wish you all, our listeners, good guiding. Good guiding. Good guiding. Day is done. Gone the sun. From the lake, from the hills, from the sky, all is well, safely rest, peace is nigh.